I've told this story before, but I used to be very, very disciplined this way. Um, and I'd, it's probably unusual, but I'd read through the Bible twice by the time I graduated from high school. Maybe I had that sense of calling even back then. Um, but in the first church I pastored, I didn't have money to buy books. I reread the books I'd had from college. I, um, internet wasn't even a thing back then. Yeah, I'm old. Uh, but I, I would read through the Bible um, three, four times a year. And uh, it became my righteousness, so to speak. And one day I was reading in John, and it says, Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you study the Scripture intently, thinking that through them you're saved. And he's going like, that's you. And he broke that off of me, and for a number of years, I didn't read consistently. And it was one of those, how do I continue on in this? Now I'm back into more routine again. I'm hoping I don't abuse it. But uh, there is great value in knowing the Scripture. And, you know, we, we, we encourage you to develop the awareness of the voice of God and His presence in your life. But how are you going to know what voice you're hearing except that you study the Scripture and know the basis for others' stories, so to speak, and understanding of how God works. And that's how you, in a sense, uh, are going to be able to discern a great deal of life just by having that base, and he'll draw that from that for you in the different circumstances you get into. And so I don't, I don't give a rip what translation you read. Uh, I, maybe I should, but I don't. Uh, you know, and there are times when people are going, well, this one's more accurate, you know, and, and this one's a paraphrase, you know, and you know what? The paraphrases are pretty good. Uh, it's just that there are times when they choose what the interpretation should be, and that's how they phrase it. And with the others that are, are more word-specific, you're going to come up with the interpretation more yourself, so to speak. So um, that said, if you want to do it on your phone, you don't want whatever you want, I don't care. Just do it. That's my plug for today. On that. <laughs> Out of the readings, I want to go to Matthew 4, and I want to look at the topic of temptation as Jesus was tempted. It says, He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In Luke's account of this particular temptation, it says He was full of the Holy Spirit and then led into the desert. And I just want to make a note that uh, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how right you're living. Temptation is a fact of life. So you're not going to get to a place where you're beyond it. 
And you're not going to have this achievement moment and just say, hey, I don't ever face those things. Uh, you're just setting yourself up for trouble. Because if Jesus, who's living a perfect life, and who's walking by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, what more can you say about his life in that moment? And yet, from that, he heads into the wilderness and a period of temptation. And I have to believe that it was truly legitimate temptation. It wasn't just, oh, we need to cross this off the list, you know, so here's a little bit of dose, you know, and now you can identify with the humans. No, this would have been significant. Um, even previous to this chapter, um, it had been walking up to the baptism, and so John's going, John's recognizing Jesus. John is the big to-do of religiousness at that moment. And he goes, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes, so to speak, or his sandals. You know, I, he's going, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus is going, no, this is appropriate for all righteousness. And, and he says, so you baptize me. And John says, okay, but John is recognizing Jesus as the big deal. So there is affirmation coming to Jesus saying, you're, you're special. And then the beauty of that baptism is that as he's rising up out of the water, he says the heavens are opened, sees a dove descending, the Spirit upon him. And then there's this voice that says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Or if you read a different translation, this is my beloved son. I'm pleased with him. You get the point, right? God's happy with him. And he's declaring, this is my son. So when Jesus goes into the wilderness and uh, he's facing this temptation, it says he'd been 40 days and 40 nights without food. You know, in some parts of the world, people fast and they'll fast from sunrise to sunset, and then he, this was, no, this was the full-blown deal. And he ends up, you know, very hungry. But here's the first temptation. If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. So the declaration has been made from heaven, this high point, you are the Son of God, and I am pleased with you. And the temptation comes in regard to his identity. If you're the son of God, you know, not enough to hear the voice, but now the challenge comes, who are you really? And what does this mean for your life? And let's, let's go ahead and apply. So if you're the son, turn these stones into bread. Now, before we go too much further, I want to read out of another portion of the readings. See how clever that was? Whatever. Psalm 8. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That psalm. It goes on and says, When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars and all of you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet. He says, humanity 
as a particular blessing in creation. There's an identity thing that we have to grab onto and, and acknowledge in the Lord. But how does that apply? That's where temptation comes in, right? In other words, yes, you are special and precious in creation, but what's the application? And in this particular case, Jesus is told, you know, you have this place of, or this position in God, so make it work for you. You know, use the power and do something. Take care of yourself. And one of the forms of temptation that comes into our lives is just saying, I need to take care of myself. You know, I've got certain hungers that just need to be taken care of. God help me, you know. It's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm lonely right now. Does God want me lonely? I better, I need to do something. Or I'm bored right now. God want me bored? You know, I'm, a, I'm a child of his. I need to do something. And we can walk through the, I'm angry right now. I need to react. I, I feel hurt. That's not how a child in my position ought to be. You know, and, and we can walk through all these things, but it, there's something that, in a sense, has to embrace what God has to say and has to put whatever we're wrestling with in light of what he desires. One of the, uh, uh, I'll get into that in a bit. Jesus answered from the scripture, he said, it's written that man should not live by bread alone. And so he quotes scripture. You know, last week we had Peter quoting scripture. Now Jesus is quoting scripture. Is there a theme here? I think so. Um, but going back to Deuteronomy, where this came from, it says, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make known that man does not live by bread alone. You know, there's, there's different writers and say different plants will yield manna and it's this thing. Jesus is very, or God was very specifically declaring to Moses, you guys didn't know anything about this. This is brand new stuff. But in that is, is this thing of saying, he let you get hungry so that he could feed you and let you know he is the one that provides and takes care of you. And, and so in some ways then, if we bring that back to this situation and, and Jesus is hungry, the only way that he's going to truly get through this temptation is to humble himself before God and say, he'll tell me when to eat and what to eat. But it's not me just taking over and saying, I assume this is what I need to do. And, and, and that's a huge challenge in front of us, Right? When we're walking through things and we know that this isn't the ultimate for our lives. In fact, there is a legitimate hunger as a part of our lives. How do we take care of this? It's just like, you know, when, when we discover and we identify it and say, man, I'm lonely. 
what do you do with that? You know, now it, it might be the call to go, well, go make some friends, you know. But it might be that God is calling to us and saying, I want some time with you. And friends aren't going to sate that. They're not going to take care of it. There's, there is a hunger that calls for him that, that only he will fill. It's, uh, it's strange. You know, when we, when we come out of addictions or start breaking temptation cycles, you know, it's like there's a knowledge that there's a certain buzz that goes on in our brain, that, that dopamine fix that we want. And it can happen through a number of things, right? I mean, I just came through to Christmas with sugar binging. I'd like to tell you that I'm done with that now. You know? I yielded to it for weeks, but now it's over. It doesn't work that way. The body's still craving it. You know, and it's like, have to take authority over The Stanskys were purveyors of temptation. I just want you to know. We had sent something over the house, and, and back comes this huge plate of cookies. Yeah, I ate the whole works. Didn't take many days either. But there's a price to pay, because I got used to that, you know? Well, that can happen with pornography. It can happen... I remember when... When I was working in drug addiction, and we were helping people get off of narcotics, we also chose not to have any smoking in the program. And, got, you know, that was as strong a, a habit as anything. And I remember, uh, and I'm not saying you can't do this. I'm just saying that was how we practiced things. And I remember that guys having that, after supper craving, <laughs> you know, where it had been habit for years, and suddenly they're trying to break it, and they're going, this thing is powerful. And those things can go on for years. You know, but it's like in coming to something like this, there's this, there's, there's trust issue that goes on and saying, is God really caring, and is he going to provide for me? And do I have truly enough power to get past this moment? And that's where it kind of boils down, right? If we're going to, to have him work in us in such a way that we are overcomers and that we do become victorious, then we have to find ways of dealing with things that are not the sinful patterns that we've embraced at times. You know, that you're, <laughs> it's like if, if I'm bored and lonely and my only answer is going out and getting drunk or just partying, <laughs> and I come to the Lord and he convicts my heart, that's not appropriate for you. A lot of stupidity happens when you're doing that. Well, you're going to have to find another way of taking care of that boredom, Right? You're going to have to find another way of dealing with that loneliness. It's not just going to disappear. But it's like, I can find better answers in this through Christ. 
Was God going to tell him, no, you're not going to ever eat again? No. But there was an appropriate time and moment. Again, the, the, the temptation in the garden was referred to. And, and uh, he was in the middle of the garden, so they couldn't avoid it. It was pleasant to the eye. It was tasty. It, you know, it had all the marks of something amazing. And yet, God was saying, this isn't good for your life. And there are times when we have to just acknowledge, yeah, this thing right in front of me looks amazing. And in the moment, it delicious. But it is not going to accomplish the work of God in the way that he desires. And it is not going to take me where I really want my life to go. Anyway, um, let's go on to number two. It says the devil took him to the holy city on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. That on their hands they will bear you up. He quotes Psalm 91, which, <laughs> this is pretty amazing. I mean, I'm encouraging you to read the scripture and know the scripture, but know too that the devil understands the scripture as well. And so just because you hear a scripture and you're going, oh, that's a scripture, that must mean this. Not necessarily so, right? So the devil's using the scripture, but again comes out, if you're the son of God. So it's that identity challenge again. Jesus responds with scripture, but he says, it's written, you shall not put your, the Lord your God to the test. And again, I want to refer back to the Old Testament setting for this. Children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They run out of water, and they get really thirsty. And they're going, Egypt was bad, but it's better than this. You know, and, and then they start going, our leaders suck and where's God? You know, that's bottom line. And they have a choice of continuing in that complaining and griping or embracing that God will take care of them. Now, that's the, the situation is where Moses strikes a rock and water pours out and they all get taken care of. But God wasn't happy about their attitudes in that whole thing. And, and the challenge, I think, that that comes to us is that when I step into despair and despondency, really that depression is kind of saying, God isn't really taking care of me in this moment. There's not a true trust in him in that, right? Or if I start grumbling about things and that complaining, what, what is the core of that? Where's God in this situation? If God is who he says he is, he's got to do something right now, and he's got to do it my way. That's kind of the idea. And, you know, Jesus refers Satan back to saying, putting God to the test that way isn't the right thing to do. I mean... 
jumping off the temple and having the angels protect him would have been a, an amazing thing for everybody to see and all the religious establishment to say, that really is someone special. No more baptism in the wilderness where people would go right there in the middle of the temple. That would have been a great thing. Propel your ministry. Let you accomplish all that you want to do. You know, it's, it's, it's this thing of you can change the setting by, by forcing God's hand. And he's just going, no, this isn't what's supposed to happen. Claim your rights. Demand the good. Um, one more thing. Jesus is being challenged, if you're the Son of God. Well, Romans 8 says, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We receive the spirit of adoption of sons whom we cry, Abba, Father. So again, this is closer to home than what we might think. You know, the identity in the Lord. He, he establishes us as sons and daughters of Him. Just got done reading a book called Ghost Soldiers, and it was written um, describing a prison camp in World War II. Remember the Bataan March in the Philippines, or you've heard of it, and many, many people... After the first surrender of the Philippines by the U.S. Army, um, they were marched to a camp, and there were many more soldiers than what the Japanese anticipated, and there was no way to take care of everyone. They thought maybe 25,000. It turned out closer to 100,000. And many, many people die on the way there. They end up in this camp, and there's over 5,000 people there. They have Logistically, they don't have the ability to feed everyone and take care of them like they should. They end up moving some off and hauling them to Japan to be workers in factories, you know, the slave labor. But then also, they had about 2,600 die just of starvation and disease, and everybody there suffered nutritionally, and so uh, lots of terrible things happened. Well, the U.S., when they go back into the Philippines, need to liberate that camp before the soldiers are put to death. And so there's this rescue that goes on. And they, they go in, they liberate the guys, they go in at night, they attack, it's victorious. They have a terrible time convincing the soldiers that it actually is a liberation. They have to beat some of them to get them out of the camp. They cannot believe that they've been set free. They think it's just another tragedy, a bad joke. And so the U.S. soldiers are forcibly hauling these guys out of camp. Now, each mile they go, they gain confidence this is real. But in the initial stages, they can hardly get them to conceive that things are different. When you and I come to Christ and our sins are forgiven it's hard to conceive that he really does love us. It's hard to conceive that he truly has a good plan. It's hard to imagine that he has good intent. And yet, if we see things as they are, 
That's the declaration over our lives. And we don't have to go about proving it, so to speak, testing it, seeing if it's real, because it's, it's truth. And, and so in, in this temptation, Jesus, in a sense, is, if you're the Son of God, do something. You know? Prove that he really does love you. It's declared over your lives now. What are you going to do with it? Walk in that confidence and understanding that, yeah, he loves you. Now, does everything go smooth and wonderful? And That's not the declaration. And there is an eternity to, to, to plan for and look for. But the, it's powerful that, you know, Jesus is walking through these things. Now let's go to the third test. Devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And again, Jesus responds with Scripture says, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only serve him. Deuteronomy 6, 13. So, Jesus knows that he's called to something special. But Satan's offering him glory right then. And there's something in each of us that craves glory, right? We crave honor, we crave position, we crave status, and this is being offered to Jesus, saying, all you got to do is worship me, and he's going, that's not who gets the primary glory, that's not who is the big deal, it's better to be in service to God, and him be the one that's the big deal than it is to take the shortcuts for a short-term glory. You know, and Satan's offering, all you got to do is bow down to me. And Jesus is going, no, there's only one that we bow down to. Well, those, those are the same issues that we face. It says... The devil left them, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. In Luke, it says, he left them and departed until an opportune time, a more opportune time, some of the translations say. So it's like, okay, we're done for now, but this isn't over. There's a, if you if you continue on in this passage, Jesus goes from there to calling his first disciples, and then he goes about healing everyone in the region. And there's a, um, his ministry takes off, so to speak. And, and we could look at that and say, conquer temptation, and that opens the door for ministry. Well, I, I think there is a measure of truth in that, but also there's a cross ahead that he's marching toward. So, you know, it's not like it's all over. It's just that it's continuing. And the fact that he's told, 
Satan leaves them for a more opportune time, it's like, well, what's ahead of you? Well, there's doors of ministry. Yep. There's crosses. Yep. There's temptation. Yep. Well, I guess life is continuing on. And so where does that leave us in regard to temptation? And it's like saying, It wasn't sinfulness necessarily or righteousness that opened the door for the temptation that you face. And there is no need to feel guilty for it. Sometimes, sometimes we have this, how did that thought even come in me? Right? Why am I wrestling with this? Why? Why do I have these kind of, why do I even entertain thoughts like this? Now I want to suggest to you, sometimes that's beyond your ability. Sometimes there's another dynamic involved, and what's more important is, what are you going to do with that thought when it's there? How are you going to get past that, so to speak? There's no need for guilt for the thought is, what are you going to do with it? And there's an opportunity to, to walk out of this in vic- victory in the Lord and say, that was brutal. I don't want to walk through that again. I don't like that, but it's, it is what it is. And the truth is, the enemy goes after points of vulnerability. That's why he's saying, get something to eat. Jesus is at a physical and emotional low if there ever was one for him. The end of this fasting period, he's hungry. And Satan tempts him in that moment. Well, whatever it is for you might be something different. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't say that you've done something wrong. But there's opportunity to step forward. Corinthians makes this declaration. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When is the struggle the worst? Before you fall or after? It's before but there's opportunity to beat it. I, uh, I checked with Sammy because one of the, the, the guys that was here in the USOEC wrestling, I remember having him in our home and him making the statement that he had lost his first 50 matches as a kid. 50. But he didn't quit. So much so that he became a world-class wrestler. And I was going, Lord, if somebody can do that for something like that, well then, I need to be willing to get up in the areas that I failed and face that temptation, so to speak, and look for victory. Maybe I've failed 50 times. You know, maybe there's an area of fear that I've never conquered. 
And over and over and over, I've been beaten. If somebody can do that for athletics, surely we can do that in regard to the value of eternity. And we get up and say, by the grace of God, I will conquer this thing. It's, it's one of those things that I think each of us has those areas. For some of you, it's your sexuality, and you're going, I've failed over and over and over and over. And you're going to have to say, well, God, I still am believing you for victory. For some, there's a loneliness that just is weighing on you, and it's that tempting period where you're just going, I don't know how to get through this. And yet, in Christ, He will see you through. We rely on His good plans for our lives. We rely on His goodness that is promised to us. We embrace identity of sons and daughters of His. That He truly loves us And the declaration can be made. He's even well pleased. What an amazing thing that is. Lord, we thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you that you... We thank you that, Jesus, that you conquered these temptations and gave a path and showed us that it's possible. Now I ask for each one here in whatever issues they are walking through, that you will give them the belief that they can be victorious as your sons and daughters, that you truly do love and care for them, and that you will guide them into victory in you. Amen. As I see it, is that uh, we have people at all stages of life, and in that, Some are walking in today going, I just want a victory. Others are coming in going, I just got my butt kicked. But working together in the Lord, there's opportunity of sharing confidence and also hope, but also praying with each other and finding strength. And then two, because of the ages, so to speak, there comes an understanding that there are different temptations and different issues at every stage of life, but there's the same answer in the Lord, that he provides hope and victory at each season of life. And so what we have is opportunity to share life together and in a sense corporately to be making that push in the Lord that allows us to say he is steadfast in his love. He calls us sons and daughters. He's pleased with our pursuit of him and he will grant us victory in the challenges that we face. What an honor that is. If if you come dragging in here, I'd encourage you not to drag out, but to find someone and just pray with them and, and say, you know what, I, 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 need, I need some help right now. If you came in and you're going, I am walking, well, 
rejoice with someone and say, give thanks with me that the goodness of God has come through again. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to be sons and daughters of you. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I said you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. In 